been thinking about all the great hymns and things and songs that we sing today, many of them are out of the Psalms, and God has anointed a, a young generation with some, some very theologically sound songs. But after all the singing is over with, the important thing is where, where does their impetus come? Where does that come from? And it comes from reading the Word of God. Because without reading the Word of God, you don't know who God is. And it's hard to praise a God that you don't know. And so the Word is always the thing that you cap things off. And that's just the way I see it, because the Word is our foundation, which we're going to see. Verse 12. Now, there's a great divide going to take place here in verse 11 through verse 22 of chapter 2. First off, let's go back to verse 1 where he says, He has quickened us or made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's every one of us. Every one of us was dead in trespasses and sin. And the word quickened means made alive. So you're alive as a human being, but you're dead because of trespass and sin. And he made us alive by his death on the cross. Because verse 8, well, I'll read through it real quick. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our own conversation in times past. And this is a description of all of us, the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we inherited, or were by nature, the children of wrath. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy, say that, rich in mercy, for his great love, say great love. Great love. Wow. <laughs> Wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. So first, everything goes through him. Together with Christ, we're made alive. Nothing, no salvation takes place without a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Everything goes through him. You know, he upsets. Uh, the world is still mad when he said, I'm the uh, keeper of the gate. No man comes unto the Father, but by, you know, that makes everybody mad, except people that understand what Jesus was saying there. He's the gate. He's the way in. He's the bridge between God and man. And uh, in the world we live in today, everybody wants to prove that their God is God. But we all know how that comes out, right? Basically, if you refuse to accept Christ as your Savior, you're a humanist. And you believe that you can be saved by good works or different things or because you come from a good family. But the only way to heaven is a firm belief and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. By grace are you saved. The rest of verse 6. And he's raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. He went first. He preceded us. He's sitting in heavenly places. And now he's raised us up with our belief in him. And he has placed us in heavenly places. Amen. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward who? Toward us. His kindness toward us. That is a, uh, that's a plural name there, but it's an individual thing too. He has showed his great grace and exceeding riches unto us, unto me. Everyone, is, it's, he's revealed himself to the world. Amen. Now the world has to accept that or reject it. And that's what salvation is all about. 
Verse 8, for by grace are you saved. By grace. What's grace? We touched on this last week. It's unmerited favor. It's, it's unmerited favor, but remember what I said last week about it's love and mercy put together makes grace. Think about that for a minute. That's a good word, not from me, but from the Holy Ghost. Grace and love makes our grace on one end. Mercy, mercy is negative. Grace is positive. And they meet in the middle, which is called grace, faith. So remember, everything comes through him. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship or his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, we're going to get into predestination and some teaching on that in a couple of weeks. But one of the things, we are saved not because of works, but we are saved under good works. Amen. Can anybody understand what I'm saying there? Yes. Some people think that predestination means that we didn't have any choice in the matter. Linda was chosen to be saved and it was the irresistible grace of God and she was going to get saved no matter what. Well, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that we are saved unto good works, but our works don't save us. If works saved us, the, the person that had the most money that was the most benevolent would be the first one in the kingdom of God because they have more means. It's not got to do with works. Works comes after salvation. It doesn't come before salvation. So a lot of people think that they're good people, but they're missing the key requisite of it. And that's by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast because we are his masterpiece. We're created into, unto Jesus, unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. David Paulson said that he is confident that he's doing what God made him to do. But then he said all through his life, he had opportunities to do other things. His dad, how many of you remember when, when Dr. Paulson was here at the church? Wasn't that an amazing thing? Yeah. Oh man, I could have just hung around. I did hang around him all week. The wisdom of the man. He's 89 now. He doesn't travel much anymore. But uh, his uh, dad owned a farm in Scotland. And he raised uh, David to be a farmer. He raised him to be a farmer. All his life he poured into him. And so at the age of 12, he gave him more responsibilities on the farm. Milking cows and taking care of things and basically learning how to run a farm. So then when he got older... His dad said to him, well, now it's time for you to take control of this farm. And David looked at his dad and he said, Dad, I know how to do all this, but that's not what I'm called to do. He said, I'm called to teach the word of God. And he said, thank God that my father was not overbearing about it. He recognized that there, he wanted me to be a farmer. But I had that choice right there in my life. He said, I could have been a good farmer and a comfortable farmer, but I knew that the grace of God was calling me into the ministry. And he said, I must put the things of God over the things of man. He said, thank God for my father because he didn't belittle me. He said he when he found out that I was wasn't going to go in that direction, he threw his support behind me and he blessed me. And we all know the rest of the story. He's been preaching now for 70 years. He said his first sermon was with his 
uh, for an audience of two. After God called him to preach, he said, thank God I didn't get discouraged. He said, my first sermon was my mother and my sister. <laughs> and he said, I turned a chair around and kneeled on, the, kneeled on it and preached a good sermon. He said, I thought it was a good sermon. So, But the thing is, is that he was ordained. God chose him to do that. And so each one of us have choices in our life. Some of us might be able to look back and see where we made a choice that didn't contribute to things that maybe God wanted us to do. Amen. But it's never too late. Amen. You know, if God has called you and, and anoints you for a specific work, he's waiting for you to step into it because we are his masterpiece. We're created under good works. What is a good or the pantry is a good work. There's all kinds of good works, but remember, they won't save you. But you're born to do those kind of things once you're born again. Let's go down to verse 12. This is the contrast right here. Before you were saved, Paul's explaining to the Ephesians what happened. He says, at that time you were without Christ. You were an alien. Not the way we think of aliens, but... They were aliens to the promises of God, which it's going to explain here in a minute. It says at that time you were that were without Christ. See, there's no middle ground here. You're either with Christ or you're without Christ. And people that teach that there's other ways, they're in error. And the motivation there comes from the enemy who wants to stymie us into thinking that there's so many different ways to God that we can choose whatever way we want. But that's not what the word of God teaches us. And it says, uh, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. What was Israel? God's chosen people, right? He said, you are my chosen people. We didn't understand that. We didn't understand being God's chosen people. They didn't really understand it either until God showed them. And David went back over the Psalms and said, look how many times God has rescued us and done this and done that. So, we had no understanding of being God's chosen people until we got saved. And then we realized that he's a God of covenant and a God of promises. So the promises that he made to the children of Israel carry over to us. And he's going to explain that in just a minute here. He said, and strangers from the covenants of promise. When you're without Christ, you live a life that has, doesn't have a whole lot of promise in it, does it? You might think it does. How many of you had a bunch of good buddies and once you uh, uh, turned to the Lord, they weren't your good buddies anymore? <laughs> well, Jesus said they loved darkness more than they loved the light. And then once you got saved, you turned into a big light bulb. You turned into a big spotlight. You know why? Because you fell in love with the God of promise. Our God is a God of promise. What are his promises? Yes. Yay. Yes. Yay and amen. If God makes a promise, you can believe it's going to happen. Amen. He said one day he's coming back for a bride that's spotless without blemish. And he said that and that's going to happen. One day he's going to gather all his children unto him and he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. You say, how is all that going to take place? I don't know. I just know it's going to happen. Amen. He said, not only will you be saved, but your whole household. It happens. It happens. Don't ever quit praying. It's a promise of God. 
So we were strangers from all of that. We didn't understand that God is a covenant God and he keeps his promises. And then it says we had no hope. But now we got hope. And we were without God in this world. The world's pretty mean right now and being without God is not a good place to be. I love what Jeremy said a couple months ago when he was teaching when he said, you can go back to your old life, but you won't be happy. Once you're saved, some people dabble, you know. You know what dabble is? They dabble in things and they can't seem to break loose. But there's no happiness at the end of that. You've already been down that road. Amen. The only happiness came when you gave your heart to Jesus. That's when you really came. I got to tell you this. At um, Han and Ellen Moretti's school today, our granddaughters, they had a fun run day where they were raising money for the school, their school. And so this, this troop of young people come in and they set up these tents and cones and you have to run 35 laps. And uh, I got to thinking, you know, as the kids were walking out, they had all the grades together and they said, okay, the first, the first lap, you just walk, you walk around. But then they said, when you hit the second lap, you start running. And what I saw was just was so precious because those kids were fully alive. I mean, they were just overjoyed. They weren't runners or whatever, but they were outside. And when he said, okay, now go, they just came alive. It was like a transformation took place. They're outside. They're not in the classroom. They're out running around and they're throwing these, uh, what were those things that they were throwing at them, Darlene? Them things that when they hit you, they make smoke and they cover you all in this paint or whatever else. And them kids were just fully alive and I thought that's how God wants us to be. He wants us to understand that in the spirit we are fully alive because we were dead in our trespasses before that. And uh, God is pleased with men and women that are fully alive. Amen. Just like a bunch of kids. That's why he said unless you come unto me like a little child Amen. you're not going to understand the kingdom of heaven. How many of you would raise their hand with me tonight and this is the Bible study but you would say, you know, there's a lot I don't understand about the kingdom of God. Anybody? You don't have to if you don't believe that. But there's a lot I don't understand. And I was thinking that today as I was kind of thinking about tonight. I thought I'm going to be teaching the Bible tonight. And I don't understand all of it. So I have to speak with the revelation that God's given me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't even know what I don't know. <laughs> so I read a quotation that kind of helped me through that. I'm responsible for what I say, not responsible for how you hear it. So the only, my only responsibility tonight is the word of God. And I'm responsible for what I say. But how you understand it, you're responsible for that. And so if we put the word of God in that context, that's all about salvation, right? Uh, but I got to get going. We'll never get done tonight. Where was I? Verse 12. We're children of hope and we were without God in the world. But verse 13. But now in who? In Christ Jesus. You who were sometimes far away are made close by what? The blood of Christ. 
That's why we have to come to the cross and a realization in our life that that's where salvation takes place. We are made close. We are made near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. For He is our peace. You ever been around people that their whole life is just utter chaos? It's depressing, isn't it? Their whole life is just one tragedy after another. And they get up in the morning and if there's not a tragedy going on, they'll call somebody and make one. He is our peace. For he has made us both one. Who's, who's he made both one? Jew and Gentile. Remember, we were not part of the covenant promises to the Jews. We were apart from that. We didn't understand that because the Jews were the chosen people. But now he says he has made peace and both in one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. How many of you remember what happened in Acts chapter 10? I think it was with Peter and Cornelius at the house of Cornelius. Because the Jews would not associate with the Gentiles. It was against their laws. They had different, different cleansing laws and purification laws and different things that they, uh, unclean bodies and all this kind of stuff. And the Gentiles didn't live that way. So there was a partition. But Cornelius had a vision and Peter came and, and uh, their sheet was uh, lowered down before him and and he said, I'm a Jew. I don't eat common things. And God said, don't, uh, what I've made holy, don't you dare call it common. So that partition was between Jew and Gentile. The Jews didn't like nobody else either. They didn't like their ways. And the Gentiles certainly didn't like the Jews. So there was a partition, or a partition between us and them. But this is what God did. He broke down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, let's take this to the death of Christ on the cross. What hung in the temple that was kind of a partition? The veil. The veil. What did the veil represent? Separation. Separation between us and God. So, in a way, we have, we have the same thing with, in, in two different ways of looking at it. Christ by his death, broke down the partition between Jew and Gentile. But then, when he said, it is finished, what was finished? The work of salvation was purchased on the cross, and the veil was rent in the temple, which gave us access. And that's why I always say that Christ is the bridge. He tore that veil, and so now we all have access into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. We no longer have to go through a high priest that can only go there once a year. We can every night confess our sins and ask God for pardon. You can ask him for whatever you want to ask him for. Doesn't mean he's going to give it to you if it doesn't match his will. But now we have access to the Father by the opening of that veil. There's no longer a big secrecy around it. There's things we don't understand, but it's easy to understand that he's our Savior. And he's put us all together. And here's what he's done, man. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Anybody know what the word enmity is? It's being actively opposed to something. 
Hitler was actively opposed to the Jews. Huh? Actively opposed. But before he uh, tore down that partition, we were actively opposed. The Jew and the Gentile were actively opposed to one another. Okay? But it says, by his flesh, he tore that enmity down. And what's another word for enmity? Enemy. We're no longer enemies. That's why the evangelical church, which we are, is friends of Israel. How many friends of Israel do we have in here? If you're conservative, you're pretty much a friend of Israel. Amen. The world does not understand why Christians, conservative Christians, love Israel. Well, because we're in their family. Amen. By his death on the cross, we become part of the children. We haven't replaced Israel, but we've become part of that family. Amen. He took two. Which I better not get ahead of myself. <laughs> he abolished in the flesh the animosity or the enemy or the act actively opposed to each other. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And why did he do this? To make in himself to make one new man. And by making that one new man, he's made peace. Israel's got their land back. And we can go visit over there anytime we want. But he did that by making peace. He is our peace. And there's that word peace again. Go to uh, Ephesians 4.24. Next page over. Maybe I need to go back a little bit. Yeah, verse 21 of, of chapter 4. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in who? It's in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on, what? The new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So you can kind of look at it as putting on a garment. We are told that God put Jew and Gentile together, making uh, people that were uh, at enmity with each other. He brought them together, making one new man. And now he's reconciled us. And uh, what would I want to say there? Um, then he tells you after he makes one new man, you need to put on the one new man. That becomes a lifestyle for us. Okay. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. See if I got the, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Let's go back a little bit. Verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth, now we know no man after the flesh, even though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now know we him no more after the flesh. When he ascended on high, that was the end of knowing him according to the flesh. Yes? When you were talking about putting on, 
Yeah. Put on the, well, in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about putting on, well. When you're saved, you already put it on, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like putting your clothes on. Do we, do we put it on again? What? Well, he put together Jew and Gentile, making one new man. So what he's telling us, in effect, is we who come after need to put on that one new man, that attitude of a one new man. Because we were dead in trespasses, now we're alive in him. He's quickened us and made us alive under, under good works. So it's kind of like in chapter 6, he's going to be talking about putting on the whole armor of God. So you got to remember the imagery there was Paul was uh, always chained up somewhere or on some boat going somewhere, and he was always in trouble. And, and he identified in many of his epistles on that, Clothing and things like that. So we are to put on the new man and not have animosity one toward another. There's still people that have not received that God has put the Jew and Gentile together. So they haven't put on. No, they can't put it on until they realize that they've been put together by the death of Jesus on the cross. The Jew can't wholly discern that because they don't accept Jesus as their savior. Um, there are Orthodox Jews in Israel that they don't like uh, evangelical Christians. They don't like them because they think they're trying to proselytize or convert their, their whole country. And they make it quite well known that they don't like you. So, but the Messianic church movement in Israel has really taken hold now. It's growing. Um, it's, it's really changing Israel a lot. There's a lot more acceptance in the government, but the, some of the uh, Orthodox Jews, they don't, they don't want you in their country. And Gary was worried a few, uh, a year or so ago, because one of the guys that was gonna be the minister of, uh, oh, what do you call it, like state or whatever, he was an Orthodox, and he thought he was gonna give all the people that come over a hard time and refuse them, but it hasn't happened that way, so God's worked on him, but uh, yeah. But, you know, we know that through the law, that they, you know, through their religion, their dress, their diet, you know, it was all entirely different. So even after we got, after, you know, Peter went to Cornelius, then they came back and they had a big discussion. The Jew, you know, the Jewish leaders did. Did, when we got saved, it was, did we have to become Jews in order right. to be saved? You know, so that was a big discussion. So just like you explained, it was through the blood of Jesus Christ that broke the curse and the law, you know, was put under the blood of Jesus Christ. So, you know, the law was defeated, you know. So then, you know, we as Gentiles didn't have to follow, you know, any of these laws and it was all broken. And we, that's how we became the one new man. Right. So, because that's what he was. That's what he was talking about about commandments and ordinances. Not that they were neglecting them, but the blood of Christ supersedes them. It overrules 
all the commandments and ordinances. Okay. We're the wild olive branches. Well, yeah, yeah. We are kind of wild, aren't we? So when we get saved and we love Jesus and we give our heart to Him, then we put it on. You know, you know um, it's almost a daily struggle sometimes to put on a new man. Put new clothes on every day. Yeah, we do, don't we? Except some of you maybe don't, but... Uh, That's right. That's a good example, Barry. You put on new clothes. You put on new clothes. Yeah, if you look at it in that way, that's... Uh, yeah, Harold. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of the good Jews were overzealous in maintaining the truth because they were, they, they were leery of false Christ and false prophets and they were just super over... Uh, that's why a lot of that's why a lot of this animosity was there, because they were so uh, so on, on edge about some falsehood coming in, and so 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 uh, we got to give some of them credit for what, what they were trying to do. Well, they uh, well they weren't. They it was an anointing, but it wasn't an enlightened anointing. They were trying to protect something. That's why Jesus and Stephen, when he was stoned, he said, you're stiff-necked people. You always do resist the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God came when Jesus ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit came. And that's what the, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees were rejecting was the Spirit of God. Yeah. And he said, you do always grieve God's Spirit. And so to this day, people grieve God's Spirit by not accepting that we are one new man in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay. Right, and they don't have nothing to do with Jesus, and they don't want nothing to do with us. So that's how that works. But Christ broke that down. Um, verse 17 of chapter 5 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, remember, in, within, through, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New, new creature. He's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So that enmity and that misunderstanding has passed away. Let's go back now to Ephesians. And why did he do all this? Verse 16 explains it. And that he might reconcile both. What's re We've been given the spirit of what? Reconciliation. That's what the word says. We've been given the spirit of reconciliation. So 2.16 says that he, he did all this. He made one new man so that he might reconcile both unto God. Reconcile both unto God. In other words, he's the answer for both sides, for the Jew and for the Gentile reconcile both unto God. And how does he do this? Unto God in one body by the cross. Okay, everything goes through the cross. Having slain the enmity or the opposition within. And verse 17 says, And he came and he preached peace 
to you which were a long way off and to them which were near. Jew and Gentile again. Verse 18 says, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives you and Gentile both access to the Father. I've told you how I've been at the Wailing Wall, and I feel, how many of you been there? Um, I don't know if, if you understand, but when you stand there, there's definitely an anointing. Amen. It's just, it's, it's an anointing. It's just really, but it's a heavy anointing. It's, and I don't mean heavy in the way that, you know, it's just like that kind of anointing. I mean heavy in the way that you can tell that it's a holy place and it's anointed. But the majority of the people at that wall have not had a revelation of Jesus Christ. Because they're Jews. That's where they stand there and, you know, put their prayers in the wall. And I definitely feel an anointing when I go to that wall. But it's not the same kind of anointing that I feel, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Because it's, a, I call it like an anointing in darkness instead of an anointing in light, if that's possible. They, they don't see the whole picture because they haven't accepted Jesus. So they... What's that? God. It's still God. It's, it's the same spirit, but it's not been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. OK, so there's definitely an anointing. And if you went there, I think you'd find out what I'm talking about. It's a holy place, but there's just something different than the anointing that we feel when the Holy Ghost is moving in the services or whatever. We've got the revelation of the cross and they don't. So a lot of their worship and things is according to the law. But God put that to death through Jesus' death on the cross, the ordinances and things that they live by. By grace are you saved, not by the law. By grace are you saved through faith. Okay? Not of yourself. It's a gift of God because if you could do it yourself, we wouldn't need God and then we'd become gods and then we're humanists. And that's what most of the world is. They want to make themselves gods, which is nothing new. And another thing, just to talk about the law and that for a minute, the men and women are separated. Amen. Men are on one side, women are on the other. That's an ordinance. That's uh, uh, something that uh, was put in place by man. Amen. Yeah, you're not of the men and women can't worship together. Yes, Lee. Like you said, we can't keep the law. It's impossible. <laughs> it's just like when he said, if your ox falls in a ditch, won't you go rescue it on the Sabbath? Because they were after him about healing somebody on the Sabbath day. He wasn't allowed to do that. Remember, you weren't allowed to do anything. 
but he healed a man. Well, that's where the Spirit of God comes in. That's the right thing to do. Not, not keep the stupid law that says, well, let the guy die. You know, I mean, the law showed them their sin. But he, like you said, he came to fulfill that. And, and in other words, supersede that. He's higher than the law because he is the word. When you go back and read the New Testament, it's actually a higher standard. <laughs> when, when you go back and read his word, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he gives some pretty good commandments that are actually, uh, if you live by those standards, they're higher than the law. Well, there's, there's, it's, it's spiritual instead of, uh, what I want to say, the Beatitudes are spiritual. They first come across spiritual and then they turn into physical. How you're supposed to treat each other. Where the law was the other way around. The law was, was physical. And if it started being spiritual, well then so be it. But the things that Jesus, that's what they said. They said no man ever spake like this. Because they were all disciples and they had followed him around. And they knew what the law said. But when he said what he said, the things that he said that, uh, as Darlene said, were, are really actually harder to keep. If you look at the Old Testament, there was some pretty gross stuff going on back then. And we say, oh, we got it made. We don't slaughter people and do all that kind of stuff. In a spiritual sense, as she said, it's just as demanding on us because there's a lot of sins that we commit that um, they're not murder or, or big deals like that, but they're sins. And we know they're sins. So, anyhow, he reconciled us both. I've got to finish this out tonight, this chapter. Okay. We, have one, we have both have access, verse 18, by one spirit unto the Father. So he, his death on the cross brought us together, made us one new man, and by one spirit, the Holy Spirit that's been left here on earth, we go through the Spirit, through Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, and we have access by that Spirit unto the Father. Okay? That's the only access anybody's got is through the Spirit of God. Okay. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. Okay. I want to go over some negative things that we some things that they said in the first verses before we get down to right there it says you're now no more strangers and foreigners if you go back a couple of verses um, verse 12 said before you came to a knowledge of Christ you were without Christ but now we it says here we are in Christ by <laughs> that's a good trade because verse 12 says that back then you were without Christ. But now that we've received Christ, we are in Christ. See what I'm saying there? That's what the death of the cross says. Uh, it also said we were aliens and strangers. Okay, that was in uh, verse 12. We were aliens and strangers. Okay, now when you discern the cross, it says that uh, we just read it. We are no we're no longer strangers or foreigners or aliens. So that's been canceled out there in just those five or six verses right there. 
It also said that we, had, we were people of no hope in verse 12. Well, now we know that we are the children of promise and the children of hope. That's why discerning the cross is so important. And then verse 5 says, we were without God. And if any man be in Christ, now he is a new creation. Uh, uh, verse 12 also said, uh, we were aliens from the promises to Israel, but now we just read where it says we're fellow citizens. We're fellow citizens. Which is, so all this has been accomplished by the cross. And uh, he mentions peace in there three times. In verse 14, it says, for he is our peace. Verse 15, it says, uh, he made one new man, and by that he made peace. And then in verse 17, it says, he came and he preached peace to you. So that's what was accomplished in the cross. He's the God of peace. All right, almost finished here. And verse 20 are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Everybody knows what a cornerstone is, right? That's the foundation stone or the cornerstone of a building. Everything that we're doing 2,000 years ahead now is built on the chief cornerstone, which is built on him. If it's not built on him, it's not going to last. Have you ever noticed how many nations and countries and empires have built monuments to themselves? Man has a tendency to build a monument to himself when he accomplishes something. You know what the Tower of Babel was? It was a monument to humanism and to, to people. They were in one accord, but they were in one accord for the wrong things. Because the, the man was evil. The heart of man was desperately wicked. And they, they came into agreement. They said, in other words, they said, let's make a monument to ourselves. This is a monument to us. Let us build a monument all the way to the heavens. Okay, that was a monument to them. But if you, if you, what was the, uh, the wonders of the world? Uh, the statue to Diana at Ephesus. Uh, what other wonders of the world? The Babylonian gardens. All them things are gone now. You know why? They were solidly built. They were solidly built. The workmanship was good, but guess what? They didn't build them on the cornerstone. Amen. They didn't use the right foundation to keep the... You can have the prettiest building in the world, but if the foundation is not made to hold it, it's going to fall down. So that's why it says here that uh, we are built upon that foundation. We are built... And that ties in with verse 10, which says, we are his workmanship. I did a lot of construction in Mexico. And I mean, I laid so many bricks down there. It's just, I can't even count, but I, I enjoyed every minute of it. But you want to do a good job. But the first thing you got to do is you got to have a good foundation. Everything works off of that foundation. So you can't just put up a beautiful building and have the footers go down like six inches, it's not going to stand very long because the wind's going to come along and knock it all down. But you go down three feet and put the right kind of steel in there and pour it and, and let it cure out and do it again and do it again and do it again, there ain't nothing going to knock it down. But guess what we had? We had a cornerstone <laughs> that was built 
on the love of God for those orphans, and we build it on Christ Jesus without very many materials to start with. And I'll never forget, we had like two or three rows of blocks in this direction and two or three rows of blocks in that connection. And that was the corner of the property right there. And we didn't always have money to work and we'd wait for money to come in. And when it did come in, we'd buy some more brick and we'd extend it out. But it all started right there in that corner being built on Christ. And so still standing, still there because it was built for the right reasons. But we all must build upon that foundation, which is the prophets, the apostles and prophets. That's why we're reading Paul's letters here. And it says in verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So in other words, God wants us to all grow up and be a holy temple. We're all bricks in God's big house. That's what we all are. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece and he fitly frames us together until it turns into a holy temple now that's physically and it's spiritually also that's why the bible says how good it is when when god's people can live in harmony it's like the oil that was poured on the the head of aaron and ran down over his robes god is happy when when the church and his people are in agreement it's a holy temple is what it is I think it makes God so happy when his children live in peace. Why? Because he is our peace. And he came and preached peace unto us. Last verse. In whom you also build it together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And let me just give a plug for Spirit-filled churches right there. We are a habitation of God. But it's through the Spirit of God that sustains us. And the Spirit of God is what quickens us now. We were quickened and made alive by salvation. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the move of the Spirit, that's why we love our worship here and the power of the worship and the spoken Word of God because the Spirit anoints that and we become a holy habitation, a house built unto God. And we are praising the Lord and we're going to praise Him until the day that He comes back. And we're going to keep on praising Him. Yes. Yep, they're going to, when he comes back, they're going to recognize who he is. Some of them do. The Messianic Jews do. They rejected him. They rejected him. When he comes back, they're going to recognize Jesus for who they are, who he is. They rejected him because their scripture, they even use scripture to reject him. Where was he born, you know? Bethlehem? Where did he live? Lived in Nazareth, didn't he? Why did he go back to Bethlehem? Because that's where he was born. And when Caesar gave that law that everybody had to go back to their birthplace, he was going back. And the, the Pharisees even questioned that he was the Messiah because he was born in Bethlehem, which was considered a backwater town. And no good can come out of there. And they would read prophecy and misinterpret it. I mean, they were good on tithing and all kinds of things like that, but they missed the Savior. They just didn't receive Him as God because He didn't fit into their religious mold. And the mold is, He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. They were trying to protect the system 
instead of offering life. And whenever man, you know, most churches and most faiths start out simple. But for some reason, we always got to institutionalize things. And an institution turns it into things that we can control. But God can't be controlled. And when we do that, we're making a God that we can control. And we serve a wild God who loves us passionately and wants to have the best for that. That's why we have the Holy Spirit today. So a lot of churches, a lot of people in this world today are protecting a system instead of pointing people to God yes. because they're afraid to lose what they got. They thought more of the temple than they did Jesus. One day, Jesus, the disciples were sitting on the Mount of Olives and they said, look at how beautiful the temple is. And he said, you know what? I'll tear this down and rebuild it in three days. I mean, you didn't, you didn't threaten the temple like that. They thought he was going to physically tear the temple down. No, the Romans did that when they rejected Christ. Seventy years later, they did a good job of it. And Jesus said, I'll tell you right now, not one stone is going to be left on another because you've rejected who I am. But because of their rejection of who he is, we've been made part of the family. But salvation came to the Jews first. All the disciples were Jews, right? Am I correct? No. Which one? Good question. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> one of them was Luke? I don't know what we're talking about. Disciples. Were all 12 disciples Jewish? Well, now we got a question. Somebody look it up on their phone real quick before we dismiss. Were they all Jewish? I thought, I thought maybe there was. See, this is something we don't know. We're all experiencing this right now. Look it up on your phone. Were all 12 disciples Jewish? Whatever. Was he Jew? Who? Paul wasn't one of the apostles. Huh? Luke wasn't one of the original disciples. No, I said the apostles. Were all the apostles Jewish? How many of you think all the apostles were Jewish? That's the original 12, okay? There's one for each tribe, actually. How many of you think that there was one that wasn't? You do? Who was it? Luke wasn't one of his original disciples. Okay, the original disciples. So you're getting tricked. <laughs> and he wasn't one. Of, Luke wrote, but he wasn't one, and neither was Paul one of the originals. He got converted. Does anybody have the answer? Jeremy? I think they all were, man. I don't see one here. They are all Jews. Simon the Zealot. Simon was Simon the Zealot. That's what I was thinking of. Simon of Cyrene, wasn't he the... So he was one of the firebrands, yeah. Hey, you know, I'm going to throw a little something out here, though. You know, it's controversy that they're even praying at the right wall. Right. You know, and a lot of people believe that that's foreordained. And that belonged to the Romans. Right. And I think it's quite ironic that they, on the day that Jesus was crucified, they told publicly announced 
He said, do you want me to crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. In other words, they said, Caesar's our king. And it's quite ironic that they could be very well bowing down and worshiping at the fortress of the Romans mm -hmm. that belonged to Caesar as we speak. And you know, there's a lot of good architectural facts. That, you know, that may not be the temple of the mount where they're bowing down to. Oh, wow. So, just put that out there. Well, let me just say this. There are places that you visit in Israel where they'll say this is where this happened and that happened, but you have no witness in your spirit about it. You can just tell, can't you? You can kind of tell. Now, I did feel something at the wall, but that wall, there's only a short section that is uncovered. It goes way back in there, in the tunnels and stuff like that, way back in the foundations. We took a tour through that, didn't we, Darlene? I mean, you go under the walls of the city and you come out on, it's amazing. Doris, you didn't get to go, did you? No, you couldn't, okay. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying, but it's, you know, it's what it means, I guess, more than what it, uh, yeah. We, <laughs> we went to Cana and tried to have a wedding and got thrown out of the place, but isn't it funny, we got thrown out of Cana where, the, where Jesus did his first miracle and we got thrown out. Huh? We got thrown out of the upper room too. We were being disrespectful because we were in there having a Holy Ghost meeting, and then here comes all these—I don't know—I call them druids because they're just real sad and everything. But um, here comes all these people, and we're in there. Woo we're just going having a great old time, and they come in. Shh. I said, are you kidding me? This is where the Holy Spirit fell, and I'm supposed to be quiet in here? I mean, so they, they, we, we left until we could go back over there by ourselves and get in there. And where else? Cana, somebody, uh, Mark and Claudia wanted to renew their wedding vows, so uh, we went to Canaan. And uh, we, we found the church of the, uh, what was the name of it? Uh, I don't know, but it was the church was built on the site supposedly where the wedding took place, the, the marriage in Canaan. So we go in there and, and uh, we had an Israeli flag and a tallit and everything and we come on the property there and we're, uh, and I'm getting ready to marry them or renew their vows and all of a sudden here comes uh, the Catholic priest out. He was all dressed in black going, get out, get out, get out, like that. Yeah, they took out, yeah. He said, you guys out. And I said, we can't even hold a wedding where Jesus did his first miracle. No, you guys get out. So he hasn't accepted that, there, that there's enmity. He still has enmity against the Jews. He wouldn't. So we went out on the street and had a wedding. It was pretty cool. But anyhow, uh, there was still that wall. Of, and I'll never forget when he came out of the church. We were at the end of the problem. And it was almost like I was standing there and, and the Holy Spirit said, that's just what the Pharisees look like when they attack Jesus. You have the video, man. You can see it. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. Was he Greek Orthodox? Greek Orthodox, yeah. He comes flaring out of there. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, man. He ordered us out. But I thought Jesus had to go through that all the time. What's that? We got to go home. Any, any any other questions before we go tonight?
Remember Friday prayer, Sunday church. Lord bless and keep you. Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now remember what we learned tonight. He is our peace. He came and he preached peace. And so live peaceably with all men as much as possible, especially those of the household of faith. Amen. God bless you all. It's good to see you. See you next week. Chapter 3. Go home and study Chapter 3.